Well, good morning. I'm uh, uh, Bruce Triplehorn. Um, probably wonder why I'm wearing this outfit right now. I guess you look up on the screen, you could probably figure it out. Um, it's, it's Africa, and uh, it's an African thing. I'm getting ready to head to Africa tomorrow at 10 o'clock. If you see an airplane flying out of Columbus, I'm on that plane for the day and a half of travel to get to the Central African Republic. So, uh, so pray for me on that. Um, We've been involved, Lisa and I, as my wife, we've been involved in missions for 33 years now overseas, and it's been a wonderful experience. Um, it's, uh, it's interesting because we are, we are 25 years in Brazil. We lived in Brazil, and then we actually moved to Africa about eight years ago. We were living in Columbus right now, but uh, we're, we're still involved in Africa, and that's why I'm heading over there for three weeks. Uh, I was in Chad, which is the one up above that, yeah. Uh, I was in Chad in, in the month of June. You can see it's a landlocked country. It's most of it's the Sahara Desert or the Sahal, and it's very, very hot there. If you guys complain about this, the heat here, um, just I want you to know that um, it was 118 degrees the first day I got there, so you guys have nothing to complain about. No air conditioning or anything like that. But uh, it's, it's, it's a poor country because of that, the, the circumstances that are there, and there's um, you know, some unrest that's going on. But recently, uh, to this trip I'm taking tomorrow, I'm going to the Central African Republic. You can see it's right below Chad. And uh, it's involved in a civil war to some extent. It's kind of at a standstill up country. The people are, are uh, the rebels are up that way. But I'm going to be teaching at what's called the James Gribble Center. I've never been to, this is all new to me. I've never been to this country. I know very few people there, and I'm going to be training um, roughly 45 uh, students. Uh, these are evangelists and, and church planters and pastors that it's going to be working, so it's a great opportunity, and I'm looking forward to being there. It's three of my former students are, are there, and it's going to be a great opportunity. Well, um, it's, it's interesting uh, that uh, I just want to go back to my shirt here. I almost wore my pants, too, <laughs> and... Uh, and so, uh, so it's kind of colorful, and a lot of, a lot of the clothing in Africa, if you look at it, you'll see, I'm going to show you a tape here in a minute, you'll see how colorful the people really are. And uh, they, there's a saying that they have in Africa that everything that's important has a song and a dance. And uh, I've, I've taught them how Americans dance in church, you know, they'll kind of go like that a little bit, you know, but... And they go, oh, it's so boring, you know. So they, they do a lot of dancing there. But everything is, has, that, has a song and a dance to it. And um, I, I, see, I got this. Well, usually when I teach, they, they're, they're really funny, the formal things. They'll come up to you and they read this thing. And, you know, we, the class, are such, so we give thanks to all your efforts and all this stuff. And so you get some sort of official recognition. Sometimes they give you clothes. I got a full suit this time. And sometimes they'll give you clothes. So I have a number of shirts that I've gotten. But never, never did I have happen what happened this last time. Remember the song and dance thing? Well, they did a song and a dance and thanking for us. And you'll see this guy waving a, a blue notebook, which was what we studied for two weeks at the church of the, the, the Dembe Church in Jamena Chad. So I'll show you this uh, video here. <laughs> I will expect the same response after my message today. 
So, um, uh, what I wanted to share with you this morning is, is well, it's really funny, you know, we, I, I like talking about missions, and feel free to come up to us and ask us questions, because I really love questions, and, and I mean, most questions are pretty provocative, and, uh, but every once in a while, the kids are fun, you, know, you go to like a Sunday school and you talk about missions, and one little kid asked me, he goes, well, do you guys have the 4th of July in Brazil? And I said, nah, we don't have the 4th of July, our calendars go from the 3rd of July to the 5th, so we've taken out the 4th of July. And, uh, you know, they've asked our kids, do you have clouds in Brazil and all kinds of stuff like that? And people always ask me in Africa, have you always seen an elephant? Nope. Seen zebra? Nope. Seen giraffe? Nope. Seen hippos? Yeah, saw one from a mile away. Have you seen, uh, you know, rhinos? Nope. And monkeys? Nope. Gorillas? Nope. I haven't seen any of that stuff. But one of my favorite questions is this. As, uh, Lisa was discipling a girl at Grace College. And um, if you put the next slide up there, she asked this. She said, what is the most important thing you learned as a missionary? Because I, I say this, God took us to Brazil, not so much to what we would do in there, but the things that he did in our own lives, the things that, that have happened. And I could have answered a number of different ways there. One of the ways I could have answered is the gospel. Marty was talking about the gospel. I don't think I understood the gospel fully until I got to Brazil and in Africa and interacting with the people. I could have talked about worship. Uh, it's more than just singing. As, uh, as you see the different forms, you start looking at what the essence of worship is. The church, I, I learned a lot about church living in community through my time and experiences in Brazil, and I'm taking that a lot to Africa. But the thing I want to talk about this morning is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's role in sanctifying and changing our lives. The, the song we sang says, if the, the cross transforms... I'll be crucified with you or something like that. But it, it does. The gospel transforms. The cross of Christ transforms. And that's what I want to see. Look at that and, um, and examine that a little bit. Now, I'm going to refer to, not exclusively, but the book of Romans. Romans, I, I, I went back and I listened to my own message. And uh, July 26, 2020, I spoke on, uh, on a similar topic. And so if you want to dovetail and learn more about what I'm talking about here, Take a look at the, that thing there. You can go back there. By the way, it's always good when you do that because you can speed it up a little bit, so it's good. So why, why would I have learned so much about the Holy Spirit in this in Brazil? Well, this is a festival in Brazil that uh, is in our city of Belém on the mouth of the Amazon. A million people come, and they fight to get a hand on a cord that's pulling this image of Maria or Mary around the, around the, the city. So Catholicism is really big in, in Africa or in uh, Brazil, but also um, there's a big influence from Africa there because many of the Africans came over uh, centuries ago to, to Brazil and they brought their religion with them. And so there's, there's things like candomblé, urbanda, and macumba and these different things in Brazil that really come right out of Africa. And so you see the, that spiritual thing. Then the intellectuals had their own area, which is Allan Kardec. He's a French philosopher, medium, that uh, talked about reincarnation and brought, and he has a tremendous impact in Brazil. And um, he's really French. And then, of course, more recently, the prosperity gospel and what I would call charismaniacs, the extreme aspects of the charismatic movement. They're very extreme. I think, uh, I think Americans would be shocked. Americans would see what goes on in some of the Brazilians. So, so Brazilians, are really, or Brazilians are really aware of things spiritually. So are Africans. There's a real hunger that they have for, for real true spirituality. And so I had to, go, next slide. Um, 
I, uh, because the Brazilians and Africans have this hunger for spiritual things, I had to look at my own life. I had to examine some things in my own life as I, as I went on. Now, um, so I want to start off with this discussion on this with a passage from Romans. We're all familiar with this, but I'm going to read it. I'm going to put it up here and I'll read it to you. For I do not understand what I'm doing, because I do, don't practice what I want to, but I do what I hate. And if I do what I don't want to do, I agree with the law that's good. So now I'm no longer the one doing it. Notice that, I'm no longer the one doing it. That's an important phrase. But it is sin living in me, for I know that nothing good lives in me. Wait a minute, that is in my flesh. For the desire to do is good is with me, but there's no ability to do it. And next slide. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil that I don't want to do. Now, if I do what I do not want, I'm no longer the one doing it, but it's the sin that lives in me. So I discovered this principle. When I want to do good, evil's with me. For in my inner self, I joyfully agree with God's law, but I see a different law in the parts of my body, waging war against the law of my mind, taking me prisoner to the law of sin in the parts of the body. And of course, if you know the passage, at the very end, he cries out, who can set me free? And the answer is Jesus Christ can. That's the good news in, in this passage. But I just want you, how many of you guys can relate to that and identify with what Paul was saying in that? That's the mark of a true Christian because an unbeliever, as an unbeliever, I had excuses. But then as, as, a, as a follower of Christ, I go, man, that's what I really want to obey, but I have, I, I'm struggling with it. Well, there are four different approaches that people take to this. Uh, they come up with a list of rules. Okay, I'm gonna, I'm, if I get the right set of rules, then I, I'm going to live the Christian life. Others are just say, well, I'm just, yeah, pastor, I just got to try harder. You know, I'm, not, I'm blowing it. Yeah, I need to be more dedicated. Others just kind of give up. But the last one is the one that I really wanted to camp on. The real key to overcoming sin in our lives is to, to deal with it and, and submit to the presence of the Holy Spirit to allow Him to work in our lives, depending on Him. So let's look at these things. The first one is coming up with rules. That's a typical thing. How, you ever seen that? Well, now that I'm a Christian, is it okay if I have a beer once in a while? Or can I go to the movies? Uh, do I have to change the way I dress? You know, there's all kinds of questions. There's a camp in Brazil called the Nova Geração. It's really cool. I like going out there. It's about three hours out from our, 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 um, where we lived in Belém, the mouth of the Amazon. It's jungle all around there. It's really neat. And uh, the, the kids, the youth groups are out there. And it's interesting. Just to encourage you guys, the youth group, if you're 30 years old and you're not married, you're still part of the youth group. And so... <laughs> So, I mean, I'm kind of a youngster, I guess. But anyway, um, they have this, they have the, uh, the youth, and they, they really get into it. It's really a lot of fun. But we were talking about some of these issues, and this girl comes up to me, and she, she, she comes up, and she's from a different denomination, very conservative group. She goes, Pastor, is it okay for a Christian girl to wear earrings? So I, played, I explained Second, uh, first, first Timothy chapter 2. And she went away, and about 15 minutes later, she come up and says, Pastor, is it okay for a Christian girl to use makeup? And she started going, she kept coming to me about every 15, 20 minutes and asking a question if it was okay to do certain things. And I finally said, you know what you're doing here? Next, it says, it says you're kind of coming up with a, a list. 
And the way, this is how most Christians do it. If I do what's on the list that I'm supposed to do and don't do what I'm not supposed to do, I'm good with God. But if I, on the other hand, if I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do and I'm not and I'm doing stuff I'm not supposed to. I'm not good with God. So they come up with a list and they classify it. You see that early Christians, come, new Christians coming up like that. Well, the problem is, is that that doesn't work. <laughs> um, look at Romans 7, 15 through 23 again. Look, look at that passage there. Look at the word law, 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 law. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's the way a person tries to live. The, the, the Romans 7 passage is a person trying to please God by following the law and not the Spirit. And it only leads to frustration. A lot of people, I, I see, as you guys raise your hand as identifying with that. That's the frustration in the Christian life. My first youth pastor had this thing here. This is something that uh, John ought to put up in his thing there. Uh, he had this, this lady with a shotgun and on a rocking chair looking real stern and said, if it's fun, don't do it. That's the rule. Okay, so you can, you can do that if you want to. But um, the second one, the second way people deal with sin is just to try harder, to say, yeah, I need to be more dedicated. I want you to look at this passage again that we looked at. We already read it, but I'm highlighting certain things. Do you see this? I, 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 me, me, my, and all these different pronouns that the... That are, that are used here uh, to identify Paul, he referring to himself in, these, in this passage of Scripture. And so look at, look at what the statistics are of this. I found this really interesting. It was roughly 32 times he used either me, myself, or I. Me, myself, or I. It's looking to myself. I have the resources. Because the opposite of faith, the opposite of faith is not doubt. It's self-sufficiency. That's the real heart of our, of our sin is our self-sufficiency against God. We try to please God in our own strength, and it's, it's offensive. Well, um, the other option is to, to well, look at, look at the other thing is a lot of people will look at willpower. If you look at these words here in the next part here, the mind, understanding, agreeing with, want, desire, hate. These things are characteristic of, of, of the willpower. If I will and I try hard enough, I'm going to overcome the sin. And that's the way people deal with it. Well, um, the final, the third way is just to give up. And this to me is something that people need to think about. A lot of people look at this and say, well... Pastor, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. In other words, what they're saying is I can't change. I look at that song we sang, if the cross transforms, and it does. It does transform us. And when you say that, you're just saying, um, if you guys know Leonard Skinner had a song called Free Bird, they say, Lord knows I can't change. Well, the reality is the Lord knows that I can and I will change as I give myself to him. It, he does, it, the, the gospel does transform. And that's what I started looking at. And I was saying, how does the gospel transform? Is there something I'm missing here? And that, the thing was, is the, the fourth uh, option was to, um, to depend upon the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to give you eight truths. I'm going to whip through this really fast and hopefully get done in time. Um, but I want to give you these different truths that are involved in this. By the way, I think I have a, 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 a thing up there of a, of, a vi, of a video game thing. Yeah, that thing there. I think this is the way most people deal with, with sin. Is that the, it's, it's like the moles. You ever play that game with a mole? You're whacking them down. You're saying, okay, I'm going to overcome sin. And so you overcome lust. Boom. Up pops greed. 
boom, hit the gray, hit that one. Up pops, pops a pride. And he's all, you just keep whacking at it and they keep coming back because we're looking at ourselves instead of depending upon the Lord. Well, I'm going to start with number one. Okay, this number one is from Matthew 28. And uh, many of you think, uh-oh, missionary is going to talk about the Great Commission again. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to talk about making disciples. It does say to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and it says in teaching them. And we stop there. It doesn't say teaching them everything I know. I love to study. I love to go dig into things, and the, you know, I'm, I'm always digging into pastor's scriptures, but this one he said, teaching them to observe everything. It's not observing like, I'm going to sit there and watch the law and see if it's going to do something. Observing means that you are very careful to obey observing the sabbath and preserving things that's very very important there so the real key to to matthew 28 to making disciples is the goal is teaching obedience but what is obedience just tell me pastor what i got to do and i'll do it it's not that at all the, the obedience is submitting to his and and it's a different type of obedience and see when he talks about that the goal of teaching he doesn't get saying okay i've given you a list of rules so teach those rules to the people that's not what he's saying what he's saying there is is he teaching how to obey what is the key to leaving an obedient christian life we're going to be talking about that in a little bit but the second point the second point um is, uh, is Romans from 1.5. See, you've got to understand the context. People are saying, Paul, you're not teaching obedience. People, these Gentiles, are not getting circumcised. They're not uh, um, carrying out the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath. They're not observing the festivals. They're not observing the dietary laws. You're not teaching obedience, Paul. And he said this, and, and if you look at your, the, the correct translations in the footnotes of your Bible, to bring about, he said, I was called as an apostle, apostle to bring about the obedience that comes from faith among all nations on behalf of his name. Notice the source of obedience. It's not coming up with a list of rules, but it's learning to trust and depend upon God. That's the key to obedience. And uh, Paul said that's the heart of his ministry. You see, the Pharisees, I, I like what a friend of mine said one time. He said, you can't submit to, to the law unless you're submissive to the lawgiver. That's a heavy th thought. But the Pharisees, they tried to submit to the law, but their hearts were not submissive to God. And that's a real key point that I think that we need to keep in mind. Well, um, the, the, third, the third article, or the third truth, is Galatians 5.17. And this is, this is going to raise some eyebrows, so listen carefully. For the flesh desires what is against the spirit, and the spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other so that you don't do what you want. We're going to look at a lot of aspects of this verse in a little bit, but I just wanted to call your attention that the conflict that we have, the conflict of Romans 7, is this. Is, is, it's not my old nature against my new nature. It's this Holy, Holy Spirit that dwells in my new person and the flesh which dwells in my body that's associated with my body. These are two conflicting things. It's not a new nature, old nature thing. In fact, when I was growing in my beginning Christian life, I always heard this example of a boy that had two dogs. And uh, they would always fight each other. And they, would, and they asked the little boy, which, which one wins? And he said, whichever one I feed the most. So see, 
We need to feed our new nature, not to feed the old nature. So that focuses on me right at that point. And it's not what the Scripture says. The Scripture says the conflict is between the Spirit. When God transformed my life, I am not the same person that I was, and therefore the Holy Spirit now can dwell in me that he couldn't do in the Old Testament. He dwells in me and dwells in believers. Well, so then my body is unredeemed, and so there are fleshly desires still within them that become sinful. So the conflict is not between the two natures, because my old nature has been crucified with Christ. That's what our song sang. It's been buried. Why do you bury somebody? Because they're truly dead. And then he said, raised again with Christ as a new person. So I am not the same person. We are not the same per- people. And people use this as an excuse for, for continuing in sin. Um, the old nature, what does that really mean? What, what was I like before? It's our condition and identity that we inherited from our ancestors. Sin was not just what we did. It was where we were, we were, who we are at the most basic level. And so you say a sin nature. When you talk about somebody's nature, you talk about a good-natured kid, you know, because he's nice and obedient and everything like that. We talk about people, or he's got a nasty disposition or nature. It's, but the, who the person really is is where you look at it. So... So, um, next slide, we, when we are born again, our old nature is crucified, buried, and raised a new person. We don't have two natures, remember that. I'm not warring two natures. I've got this influence of the Holy Spirit and the flesh in my life. So the question comes, you know, the, and, the, and, the, and the dog's fighting was, was, invented to, um, uh, was, was invented to explain why we still sin, because that's a fact. I died with Christ, I'm a new person, but yet I still sin. Why do I still sin? It's because of the flesh. The flesh is in me. Um, the fourth, the fourth um, truth that I wanted to communicate with you, uh, I, said, I said our old nature and our flesh were in complete agreement, and now our new nature is in conflict with the flesh. You see, back, back before I became a follower of Christ, my old nature, who I was, was in complete agreement with what my flesh wanted. There was no conflict, but now there is a conflict. That Romans 7 conflict, look what he says, I am no longer the one doing it. So that very being is, is who he is, and that's not who did it, but it's a sin that was in him, and he restricted the sin to what he called the flesh. And that's a very important one. Unfortunately, the NIV, the New International Version, called it the old nature or the sin nature. But... Um, I want to mention number four is Colossians 2.23, if that's up there. Good. Although these, well, well, let me give you the context of this. What happened is Paul, as the people were, Paul said this. He goes, look, if you are born again, why do you submit to these rules? These rules like don't touch, don't eat, don't do all these. He says, these things are, are not of value. He said this. He said, although these rules have a reputation or appearance of wisdom by promoting ascetic practices or self-denial, humility, and severe treatment of the body. Wow, that's good religion. I mean, look how these people are dedicated. You see people in the Philippines getting crucified, and you see people in Mexico crawling on their knees till they're bloody, and you see, oh, yeah, you know, that's, that's the way to overcome the self-flagellation and all these things beating themselves. It's incredible. But he said these things... 
are, have the appearance of these things, but they are not of any value against the indulgence of the flesh. It has no value. The rules, the laws that you come with actually will stimulate the flesh rather than actually overcome the flesh. Well, um, the next, the next uh, one, well, I just wanted to make a comment about the law before I continue, is I'm not slamming on the law when I say this. The law is good. Paul said that very clearly in Romans 7. He said, the law is good. I agree with it. So, the problem is with me. The weakness, the problem is the flesh that's in me. That's what the problem is. Number five, truth number five, Romans 8, 4. And uh, I'll tell you this, this was really interesting. I was way up in north in the Amazon. We were trying to plant a church in a place called Horaima. And we were in a small town. And uh, it's, it's up by Venezuela in the north, way at the extreme of the Amazon. And I was, I was talking with an Adventist there. And they're big down in Brazil. And, and I read this verse, and I'm going to read it for you now. He said, in order that, you know, Christ came, in order that the law's requirement would be accomplished in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Once again, you see the flesh and the spirit uh, uh, thing there. I had a, uh, uh, we were part of a church called um, Dokab An in, in, in uh, Mundu where we were in. And I started sharing some of these ideas. And Joseph, who was responsible for the church, he said, Bruce, what am I going to teach if I don't teach the law? Because it was interesting, up until that point, we had heard, Lisa and I had been there just a few months, and we, a couple months, and we'd heard four sermons on Deuteronomy 22.5. You know what that is? In good King James English, it's that you know, the woman should not wear that which pertaineth to a man. And so they were saying, you know, women can't wear pants. That was the whole idea of the thing. It was legalism. And so this pastor asked me, this leader, he said, Bruce, what should I preach if I don't preach the law? Because everybody's going back to the Old Testament, pulling up laws to clobber people over the head so that they would supposedly be obedient. And I said, Joseph, teach about what it is to walk with Christ. Talk about a relationship with him, worshiping God and living his presence. And that was the best sermon I heard the next Sunday and, uh, while I was in Africa. It was really interesting. But he said this, notice that the law requirement, everything the law did. And if I can say another example here, well, go ahead, the next one is the, the truth that I want you to see out there is that, I'll go back, okay, that the law's requirements are fulfilled in those who walk in the Spirit. That's what it's all about. So my goal is to learn how to walk by, in, the, in the power and dependence of the Holy Spirit to please Him. And it's interesting, I, I taught at Liberty University for, for five years, and they had this thing called the Liberty Way, it was a big, thick book with all the rules that the students were supposed to follow. It was pretty strict back when I was there. And it was interesting. One of the, one of the new students came in, and they looked at it, and they go, boy, all these rules. How am I going to obey all these rules? And the guy that was discipling him was a friend of mine. He said, look, walk with God. <laughs> walk with God, and all these things aren't even going to be relevant to you. Just obey God. And it freed the person up. Instead of being in the legalistic list of the rules, he saw what it was to walk with God. The sixth one, the sixth truth is in Galatians 5.16. And this one here will also raise some eyebrows if you understand it. I say then, walk 
by or independence of the Spirit, and you will not no way carry out the desires of the flesh. Why did I put the no way? Because in the Greek, this is called emphatic negation. You will not, it's impossible for you to, 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 uh, to satisfy the flesh. So you go, well, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Don't I still sin? Well, the problem is, how much of the day do I actually spend walking in the presence of God? Probably not much, you know, probably maybe half a quarter of the day I'm conscious of God's presence, living in submission and worshiping Him. I do that so little, that's why I sin. The sin is when we take our eyes off of Jesus, kind of like Peter when he sunk, uh, when the waves were coming. So that's kind of interesting. So the, the point that I wanted to make, when we are walking by the Spirit, we will not sin. That's what he says. It's very clear in the original in there. And uh, finally, well, no, this is not the, the second to the last one. Romans, 7, Romans 8, this is number 7. So then, brothers, we're not un, under obligation to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you're going to die. It's hell. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the flesh, you will live. Notice the word by the Spirit. And it's notice of putting to death the deeds of the flesh. You, you, I'll, I, I, for a long time, I thought of him putting to get death the flesh. I can't put to death the flesh. But I can put to death the deeds of the flesh. That's what this passage is talking about, of putting him about. And he said, look, I used to be obligated to the flesh. I live for myself. I no longer have that obligation because if I'm living still according to the flesh, I don't know Christ. Mike's been talking about that. Pastor Mike's been talking about that for some time, about the fruit. And he said, if, I, if I'm still living according to the flesh and following my flesh and living according and satisfying my flesh, then I'm going to die. I'm going to spend eternity in hell. But, he said, if by the power of the Holy Spirit, not by my own willpower, not by my own following rules, but by the dependence on the Holy Spirit, I can begin putting to death those things that are remnants in my life that are, the, are given to the flesh. And then finally, Galatians 5.18, he said, he said there, but if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Um, he's basically saying there that, like I said about the liberty way, the, the liberty thing, if you walk by the, the law, you're going to be living an obedient Christian life. So the law becomes irrelevant. Now, if I sell my car, no car, there's no obligation to follow the rules of uh, the Ohio Department of Transportation because I don't have a car. It's irrelevant to me. And so when we walk with God, we have intimacy with him, and he's guiding us by the power of the Holy Spirit, the law is kind of irrelevant for us at that point. Now, I like this idea here, if, if the, the heart, it's the Hebrew there, he's writing out the Ten Commandments. What it says in, in Jeremiah 31, 33, it says that he will write the law on our hearts. In other words, instead of having an external piece of paper with a bunch of rules, what's he done is he's actually... Um, written them and incorporated them into the very heart of who we are. The law is not something we do. Now what the law says is who I am. So that's what he's, he's dealing with. I love the concept of writing the law in the heart. Um, the next thing I want to show you is that uh, Lisa asked me to say, okay, there's a lot of information there. Let's review it. And so I put together a list of the eight truths 
that we talked about, and then this is kind of the background for the passage I want to look at. He said the goal, the number one is the goal is obedience. By the way, your, your notes probably say seven. It's actually eight. I was trying to see if you went noticed, so I was just kind of a test I put up there for you. But anyway, the goal is obedience. Not what, but how to obey. Obedience comes through faith, that is dependence upon God and not self-sufficient. The conflict is with the flesh versus the spirit. The rule, number four, the rules can't overcome the flesh. Number five, the law is fulfilled by those walking in the spirit. Number six, when we walk by the spirit, we, uh, we won't sin. And number eight, um, I, I don't have it on my notes. Since we are led by the spirit, we don't need the law. We put the deeds of the flesh to death by the spirit. So think about that. That's perhaps a different view than you have. If you don't know the Lord, maybe you you had a different idea of how an obedient Christian life is, but there's a joy and a peace to this kind of obedience. I want to look at Galatians 5. I'm going to try to get through this quickly. Uh, Galatians 5 is really interesting. In fact, because we've already gone through it, uh, some of these passages, it'll make more sense now. He starts in 5.16. He, he, he was actually talking about conflicts. You know, if you, if you give room to the flesh, you're going to bite and devour one another. And uh, he said in Galatians 5.16, I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. And uh, I'll just comment on there is the word walk. Walk is something that's progressive. I got a goal. I, I, don't, I don't like treadmills because I'm not going anywhere. So, you know, you're walking normally means you're going towards a goal. It's action, and it's continuous. I, I tell the Africans, I say, you know, I said the problem with most Christians is they leap with God, and they don't walk with God. They say, well, what do you mean by that? And I say, well, they leap Sunday, hop over to the next Sunday, hop over to the next Sunday, or the next Bible study, you know, I'm going from Bible study to Bible study. But walking implies that the presence of God is incorporated in your daily life. And he said, when you do that, there's no way you're going to carry out the desires of the flesh. In Galatians 5, 16, the next, there's um, 17, the next passage, he said, for the flesh desires what is against the spirit, and the spirit desires what is against the flesh. We've already talked about that. The conflict is between the flesh and the spirit. He said, these are opposed to each other so that you don't do what you want. Now, that verse kind of threw me for a number of years. I said, what do I want? And, uh, and the idea people have is, I'm a sinner, and I just want to sin. And the only thing keeping me from sinning is the Holy Spirit. So I need the Holy Spirit to control me, to hold me back so that I don't sin because that's what I really want to do. That's a false picture. I want to please God. The Holy Spirit strengthens me so that I will live to please God. What I want to do, but why don't I always do what I want to do? It's because of the flesh in me. Because of that conflict, I'm not always doing what I want to do. And that, that changed my whole perspective on this passage of Scripture when I, did, when I saw that. And then it says in, um, in verse 18, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Are we controlled or are we led by the Spirit? You'll never find a verse that says we're controlled by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit strengthens us to obey. He guides us. He leads us. And that's how, how the Spirit works in our lives. So, you know, the big question you, you need to ask about this passage of Scripture, and this is the most dangerous part of this here, is why, um, is what is the flesh? What is flesh in my life? And I prayed this, and this is a dangerous prayer. I challenge you to pray this. God, show me the flesh in my life. 
And you'll be surprised. You'll see things that you thought were good things were actually motivated by your flesh rather than, than pleasing God. In fact, he gives these out there. Look at these. Immorality, impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, and carousing. Notice it's works. These are the fruit that comes out. It's plural. And uh, it's interesting. I, I looked at these, and there's 15 qualities. Now, the ones in white are, are, there's eight of them. And notice what these are. They're all how we treat other people. It's in our relationships. So if I'm on a desert island, it's kind of hard to manifest the flesh because there's nobody to fight with. But when I'm in a marriage, in any, in any, you know that in a marriage, you're going to rub each other the wrong way occasionally. And that's a good point where the flesh will come out. But uh, that's why there's the, most of them are relational type of things about the spirit. Now, he said here, the, the, um, he said then the, the fruit of the Spirit is a little bit different. He only gave nine qualities. And notice he doesn't say fruits. It's fruit. This is what characterizes your life. Not that you're perfect, but this is what characterizes the life of a true person that knows the Lord. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Self-control is kind of an interesting one. I won't go into that, but it has to do with the Spirit strengthening us to obey. So these are the fruit. This is what it is. It's singular, and it's actually, there's no conjunctions between them. So he doesn't want you to do a, a word study on each of these, or it's not a smorgasbord that you pick out, but it's the truth. Um, I want to, of course, the believers then, just I want to give you a quiz here. Believers should be what? Controlled? Led by the Spirit, that's right. They should be led by the Spirit. Now, so what does, a, what, what does happens? And I want you to look at this list here of what some of the things the Holy Spirit does in our lives before even when we become a believer. This is true of all believers except for one. But anyway, these are, the, these are the things that the Holy Spirit does. He gives us power to witness. He assures us. He puts to death the deeds of the flesh. He leads us in prayer. He sanctifies us. He indwells us. He gives us gifts. He seals us, he strengthens us, fills us, regenerates us, and he illuminates us. That's quite a list of things he did. But there's one that stands out that doesn't come automatically because it's a command. It's being filled with the Spirit. It's being filled. It's a command. The Spirit fills us. Now, I used to think of being filled like this uh, drawing of, uh, of the glasses. I, I used to think, you know, have you ever seen that? People in the church going, oh, come, Spirit, come, come. Well... I got news for you. The Holy Spirit, I got all of him when, he, when I was saved. It's not, he doesn't, it says in, in John chapter 3 that he doesn't parcel out the Spirit to us. He gives us the full power. So I thought, well, how is this thing being filled? Does the Holy Spirit leak out during the week and I got to go get filled on Sundays? Is that how that works? Well, not really because that's not the way to look at it. You see this? The, 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 the dye goes into that glass all of the dyes there, but it's not penetrating through the whole thing. And the same thing happens to us. We receive the Spirit, but there's areas of our life that we're not allowing the Spirit to, to change us, to strengthen us to, into obedience. Maybe we don't even know, but the Spirit then will actually, will actually fill our lives in that way. And so it's not something from outside coming in, but it's on the inside penetrating in different parts of our life. And that's what the Christian life is all about. So... Just the last thing, I promise, I know I've gone over a little bit, but I wanted to show you this last thing there. 
is how to, how to be filled with the Spirit. Now, it's kind of interesting because I don't want this to be a four-point thing. It's, it has to do with your attitudes and what's important to you in order to be filled with the Spirit, to be that obedient Christian that he wants us to be. He, I'm, I'm going to look at Luke 11, and he said this in Luke 11, 9 through 13. He was talking about prayer, and this is the sense of the Greek. I really like this. He said, ask and keep on asking and it'll be given to you. A little bit more intense than asking is seeking. Seek and keep seeking, and you will find. Keep knocking. Now you're ah, ah, knocking down the door that you want it there. That's the fervent seeking of God that I talked about before in the other part. It's, it, it will be open to you as, you, as, you um, as the promises. And he said this, he said, if you're a good father, and your son asks you for a loaf of bread, are you going to give him a rock? Ha ha, son, you broke your teeth on the rock. We wouldn't do that. And he asked for a fish, and we would give him a serpent that would kill him and bite him and kill him. Or uh, ask for an egg, we would give him a scorpion that would hurt him badly and perhaps kill him. No. You see, I, uh, the, the seeking of God, you need to ask. You need to seek. You need to have the fervent desire and ask God to create that desire. And just in closing, just as, a, as an image to think about how the Holy Spirit works in our lives, I, I look at the GPS. I, I, I remember being in Belen going to a funeral, and I had no idea where I was going, and my friend said, okay, turn left here, get in the right lane here, and he was telling me and guiding me. He never touched my steering wheel, but he guided me to where I was supposed to go. And that's the same thing with us as believers. It's not like there's this... Um, the Holy Spirit takes the wheel. You know, I mean, I've even heard songs that talk about that, the Holy Spirit taking the wheel. But it's, you are there, you're listening, your will is involved. You hear the Spirit's voice and you know what you did. You can ignore the Spirit too. And what happens is you turn around and the, like the GPS says, you're going the wrong way, do a U-turn when it's legal. It's that kind of thing. But we actually, the, the GPS does not control us. It guides us. So how does he guide us? Through his word as we are listening and sensitive to his word through fellowship with other believers. And uh, that's how we, we uh, and, and through prayer, through worshiping God, that's how he speaks to us. We need to have, be attentive to his voice and obey him in that way. But it starts with us being submissive to being surrendered to God. So let me pray for you. Thank you, God, for your word. Thank you for the your Holy Spirit that you've given us. Thank you for forgiving us not only forgiving us, but changing us, and not only changing us, bringing us into fellowship with you, that you've reconciled us. I'm thankful for that. I pray, Father, you use the words of this message and what we talked about and the concepts to really um, bring us into a greater sense of obedience to you. Thank you for your presence. In Jesus' name, amen.